Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, New Year's here, and that means a new set. Are you ready to talk about some Theros Beyond Death preview cards? I am really excited. Yeah, so we we started doing this. I think it was just last set, right? War of the Spark, right? Oh, was it War of the Spark? All right, so we've been doing this. Yeah, for with the a, Planeswalkers. A we were all hyped about the Planeswalkers. That's right. That's right. I, I do feel a little bit of withdrawal now that it's gone from Arena. I do. I loved playing War on Arena, and to be honest, I actually enjoyed going back to Dominaria. I dipped in for one Dominaria draft, and I, I probably will go back for a few more. Yeah, I drafted Dominaria. I'm currently two zero with a deck right now. I just the the stake. It's just such lower stakes on Arena for best of one. I just feel like the games are like little snacks. <laughs> yes, I I don't feel the same level of investment, but it's fun going back and playing old formats. Like it's sort of nostalgia fun for me. Mm-hmm. Especially now, I mean, Dominaria is almost two years old. Yeah. Whoa, Anyways, that, that can't possibly be true, right? It is true, yeah. Whoa. Anyway, so since spoiler season now has started including commons and uncommons, we thought, you know, the new set's coming out, it's rolling out, we're getting new previews each and every day, why not start talking about them? Because that's what people want. I mean, everyone's eyes are past Throne of Eldrain and on to the new set. So we're just going to sort of like go through basically all the commons and uncommons that have been previewed so far. This is on January 5th, and just talk about as much as we can and try and predict as much as we can about what's going on. And I think this is also a good chance for folks to get a sense as to how we evaluate cards and like what things we're looking for. And so to put it in that context as well. Yeah, absolutely. Give the people what they want. All right. So before we dive into that, we got to do a little bit of housekeeping. We're going to talk about that Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. It's popping. Look, we say this each and every set, but this is the time to get into the Discord. If you give back to the Patreon, you get access to the Discord, and it is the place to be for 24-7 limited tech support. And the Theros Beyond Death card evaluation channel is popping off, and I'm really, really excited for us as a community to break the format once again. Yeah, can confirm this is absolutely the best time in the world to join the Lords of Limited Discord. The community there is great, and people there are really invested in learning the new limited format. And each and every week, we want to welcome new folks who know what's up and are joining the Discord. So this week, we'll be welcoming to the fold Graham, Dan, Lucas, Brandon, Timothy, John, Mike, Douglas, JJ, Ben, Austin, Dalton, Aramil, and Dan S. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. 
cannot say thank you enough and welcome to i'm just gonna go ahead and say it the best limited testing team out there (laughs) amen to that ben i like it i think first things first let's explore maybe some mechanics slash themes that are existing here in theros beyond death and then maybe also some like hints of stuff that existed in the original theros block that aren't here this time around or at least aren't revealed so far what did you say right before we started the show the hint of a whisperer (laughs) It was, yeah, something, it was something very poetic. Very like poetic that. is what you said. Yeah, I said it's like a whisper of a, an idea, a whisper of a theme. Ooh, there you go. First up, we've got Constellation, which is an ability word that says whenever enchantment enters the battlefield, something happens. So it's just to let you know that anytime an enchantment enters the battlefield, your card is going to trigger and do something. So for example, we've got Shoal Kraken, which is four and a blue for a three five. It's an uncommon. And it says Constellation, whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. Yeah, just nice solid value there. Three five, good stats. Yeah, five mana, three, five quality magic card. Uh, Next up, we've got Devotion, which is back, but doesn't seem to be as prevalent as it was in the original Theros block. This is usually like an ETB trigger or something that maybe checks like what your devotion to the color is for maybe power toughness of a few creatures. Uh, There seems to be an uncommon cycle like that. But anyway, Devotion cares about your number of colored sources in CMCs among permanents you control. So if you have a creature on the battlefield that costs to gg then your devotion to green would be two at that moment and like enchantments any permanent would also count towards devotion right i mean i think this is a perfect time to just talk about the biggest baddest card that's back gray merchant of asphodel oh baby so gray merchant is three black black for a two four affectionately known as gary and when he etbs your opponent loses x life where x is equal to your devotion to black and you gain x life where x is equal to your devotion to black So this was sort of, so for folks who don't know, around Theros Standard, it wasn't great as as far as I could tell, just from the, the, the hullabaloo around the format. There were like three decks. It was like mono blue devotion, mono black devotion, and then maybe like some sort of Esper deck was out there. But like red green was just like nowhere to be found for a little while. And Gray Merchant, I think, was standard playable. Like there was this devotion to black deck and this was sort of the card at your top end. Yeah, and it was also real in limited, but it's uncommon now and it used to be common. So you're much less likely to be able to get this in multiples. I think making it uncommon pretty much nerfed it to where it's not going to be super relevant and limited. I mean, it's still good if you're a heavy black deck, right? You're still playing it, but you're not going to be like the four gray merchant of Asphodel mono black deck that's just crushing people. No, you're definitely not going to be able to do that. So it's it's kind of a bummer that they nerfed it to uncommon. So I wonder if that's just a nod to like, it was too good and limited, but now we still want to make it good and constructed. I don't know. Or maybe it's just a nostalgia trip for everybody. Yeah, I, I'm, I think this card is going to be overrated initially. Yeah, that's fair. I like that take. What's up next? So we've got a couple other devotion payoffs to take a look at here while we're on the devotion theme. First of them is Clothies' Design. <laughs> the most Ben Warney card of the format. This is 5G for a sorcery. Creatures you control get plus X plus X until end of turn where X is your devotion to green. This card is terrible, right? Yes, have we finally got an overrun effect that you're not going to go gaga for? Look, I, I've, I've dialed it back lately. All and right. this, one, this one seems especially bad to me. I would hope to never put this in my deck. Yeah, I think so. So this doesn't give trample. It's six mana and it's not a guarantee of what your bonus is going to be for it. I mean, I guess if, you're, if there's a green-white go-wide deck, which there seems to be, 
maybe mm-hmm. this is playable there maybe yeah okay i could see that as maybe it's a secret green white gold card if you do get like a lot of token enablers or whatever yeah turning your one ones into four fours or five fives is a big game right but like you know what a bunch of tokens don't have devotion De- any <laughs> colored sources in their mana cost those sacrilegious little tokens yeah i'm not i'm not sure about a cl- i don't even know how to say this cloth this is design uh, the other one we've got on here is Satessan Petitioner. This is an uncommon. It's one green green for a 2-2 human druid. And when it enters the battlefield, you gain life equal to your devotion to green. So at the very least, this will come into play and you'll gain two life. But this is not that exciting as a three mana 2-2. You know, on uh, Mythic Spoiler, where we're looking at this card right now, you know, it sort of gives like, here are some cards that this is like. And this is very much akin to a card that existed in OG Theros, which is Nylea's Disciple. But that was two green green for a 3-3, so sort of hill giant stats rather than gray ogre stats, but it had the same text of ETB gain life equal to your devotion to green. Yeah, this card seems not very good to me. And it's uncommon. That's so weird to me. Like, is this too good? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious about why this is an uncommon and why the stats are bad. Like, even if this was a 2-3, like, and it's not too green. I mean, I get that it's one green green because they want you to get, like, some devotion from just the card itself. But so it's, like, a difficult to cast three mana 2-2. Two, two. That's tough. Yep. Very tough. Not crazy about that card. And then there seems to be a cycle of uncommons. They care about devotion for that card's like power or toughness. So for example, we've got Timerit Chosen from Death, which is black, black for a two star. So the toughness is uh, a star there. And its toughness is equal to your devotion to black. So it's at the least with itself, it's a two, two. Um, but then with with more, it could get like a, a huge butt. And then it also has a pretty sweet uh activated ability of one and a black exile up to two target cards from graveyards you gain one life for each creature card exiled this way now why would we care about exiling cards in this format ben well that's our next mechanic which is escape so this is like i think the headliner mechanic for theorist beyond death seems like it and cards that have escape have it's essentially a sort of flashback that has an extra cost tacked onto it. So to escape a creature, there's going to be some other number of cards that you need to exile from your graveyard. And then a lot of times when a creature escapes or something, it gets a bonus. Like it'll come into play with a plus one plus one counter or three plus one plus one counters. But so the graveyard is really going to matter here. So if something with escape is in the graveyard, you can nab that out of your opponent's graveyard with your Timoret and prevent them from essentially flashing it back. Yeah, and you can also keep their graveyard free of cards for future escape spells to enter that. So like, you know, you can just keep them off of being able to get to the whatever three, four or five cards they need to exile. Yeah, absolutely. So here's my question about escape. It reminds me most of Delve, which was a mechanic from Cons of Tark here, which allowed you to pay for part of the colorless requirement of a spell by exiling that many cards from your graveyard. So there's like Murderous Cut, which is four and a black for an instant, destroy target creature, but it had Delve, so like you could exile three cards from your graveyard by casting it and then only have to pay one and a black for it, that sort of thing. So this reminds me of that. And so my question for you, Ben, as you first look at Escape, is like, is it going to be like Delve was where you sort of had to 
you know, devote some sources to some self mill or like invest in cards? Are we going to see cards that are like, hey, you just like put some cards from your library into your graveyard when this comes into play, that sort of thing? Or is it just like, yeah, you're probably not going to do that. And you might just be escaping like one or two times a game. I think there's going to be both versions. I think we've already seen some number of enablers that put things in the graveyard. And I think we've also seen a fair amount of graveyard interaction with as far as removing escape cards from the graveyard or removing some number of cards from a player's graveyard. I think the graveyard is going to be a big deal in this format. And I think it might be right. Hot take might be right to play more than 40 cards sometimes. Whoa, that is a flaming hot take. Are you serious? I am serious. Yeah, I could like, wow, there's a lot of mill and the escape cards. If you're putting them in your graveyard are essentially drawing you cards. I could see some sweet escape deck where where you've got a lot of self mill. Like there was there were times that happened in Innistrad, right? I mean, as like a meme, right? You'd play like a 41 or a 42 card deck in like the spider spawning mirror or something. There were times you wanted like 44, 45. Maybe I was maybe I was drafting in a strad wrong. <laughs> I'm sure you were doing great. Yeah, I don't know. I, li- I like that take, though. I like it a lot. Um, looking at some mechanics that are sort of being hinted at or or maybe not hinted at. So I think the biggest difference between original Theros and uh, Theros Beyond Death is there's no bestow, right? Like, so these were basically enchantment creatures that you could also cast as auras. So they like were a creature when you cast them or you could pay more and cast them as an aura onto a creature. And then when that creature died, the enchantment wouldn't fall off. You wouldn't like get that bad two for one feeling. It would just turn into a creature itself. And it looks like we're not seeing that. And bestow was sort of the thing that allowed the like battle cruiser magic to exist. That's sort of what Theros was about. Yeah, thank God there's no bestow. I did not like that mechanic, nor will I miss it being a part of Theros Beyond Death. Yeah, I I 100% agree. And then the other one that seems to be this is sort of like a whisper, a hint of the old mechanic. There was a mechanic called heroic, which was an, an ability word on creatures that like cared about, you know, when you targeted them with a spell so either an aura or an instant or whatever, you would get some sort of bonus. Usually it was like a plus one plus one counter or something. So that doesn't seem to be present in actual mechanic form, but there are cards that care about being targeted. Yeah, and we'll see those as we go through some of the commons and uncommons here. So first topic of discussion we've got, is the mill deck real? What's our first card here? Okay, so we've got Sweet Oblivion, which is one and a blue for an uncommon, it's a sorcery, It says target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard and it has escape for three in a blue and you have to exile four other cards from your graveyard. So you pay three in a blue, exile four cards and cast it from your graveyard. Yeah, this seems it's milling eight cards in and of itself. Well, sure. (laughs) For six mana. Yeah, I mean, this is doing a fair amount of work. I could see targeting yourself with this, honestly. Seems like there's more self-mill wanting to happen than milling your opponent, because if you mill your opponent, you're also going to be milling their escape cards and fueling their escape cards. But I could see, you know, if your opponent's going deep on escaping and their own self-mill plan that you could side this in and try to mill them out. I don't think they're from what we've seen so far. There's two cards we've got here that there's going to be a dedicated mill deck. I could see this coming out of the board in a very grindy matchup to try to mill your opponent out. And I could also see using it yourself potentially if you had a very escape heavy deck. Yeah. So there are a couple things here. One, this is an uncommon, so it's going to be hard to get multiples of them. And two, escape isn't just like in a color pair, like it's the 
seems like the biggest mechanic of the set. As you said, it's across all the colors, I think. So milling your opponent feels like you have a real danger of just like drawing them a card. Yeah, not ideal. Yeah, so I think I'm going to take a hard pass on Sweet Oblivion here, unless I'm trying to target myself. There's another uh, mill card here, or a suggestion of a mill card. This is Towering Wave Mystic. One in a blue for a 2-1 at common, and it says whenever it deals damage... Full stop. Whenever it deals damage, not to a player, just deals damage. Target player puts that many cards from the top of their library into their graveyard. So you, you all in on suiting up Towering Wave Mystic with some auras, getting its power super high, and then just milling your opponent out? I am not all in on that. What? <laughs> but I do think this is going to be another blue and black really seem like they want to self-mill. And I think this is going to be a nice little two drop that's going to do do a little self mill for you. Yeah, yeah. So it says target player, not target opponent. So you can definitely target yourself with the mill. So I think that's fine. I think this is going to be total filler here. Like, I don't think this is something you want. Two mana, two one is not super exciting. Well, but if that is enabling your your mill strategy, that, I could see that mattering. Like, I could see that being important to a self mill deck. Okay. So you think you might, there's like a potential for like wanting multiples of these? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Hopefully you don't have to prioritize them. Hopefully this is like a, a reward on the wheel for being in that deck. All right. Next up, we've got cards that look bad, but might be good. First up is Escape Velocity. This is single red for an enchantment aura enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one plus O and has haste. And then Escape Velocity has escape one in a red exile two other cards from your graveyard. I think this is going to be pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, this looks like a very aggressive card. This has Ryan Sachs written all over it. Yeah, and so, you know, it's sort of like Crystal Slipper, maybe, and Crystal Slipper was not super exciting in uh, Throne of Eldraine. But I think the sort of addition of enchantments mattering and targeting creatures mattering, and the fact that this escape cost... So if you think about it, you put this on a creature, if that creature dies, the creature goes to the graveyard and escape velocity goes to the graveyard. Because the escape cost is only two... You only need one other card because the creature that died is also going to be in the graveyard. So I think escaping this is not going to be difficult. Well, and when this is sitting in the graveyard, your opponent's going to have to respect you potentially escaping it back. Right. Yeah. Well, like, you know, at any moment you could have a hasty creature. Next up, we've got Cling to Dust. We've seen cards like this before, but I think this is much better here because of escape. It's a single black for an instant exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a creature card, you gain three life. Otherwise, you draw a card. And it has escape, three and a black, exile five other cards from your graveyard. The escape part, I'm not super excited about, but I am excited about instant speed exiling something from a graveyard. So can you, this rules question here, because I am not a rules expert by any stretch. Can you cast this in response to somebody activating their escape cost from the graveyard and blow them out? I thought about this. I think the answer is no, because if you're casting the card, wouldn't you go to escape it, and then the card goes on the stack, and so it's no longer in the graveyard? I don't know. When a card is cast, it's not like... It's not in your hand anymore, it's on the right, stack. Right, you can't like take it out of their hand in response to someone casting it. So in the same way, I don't think you can take it out of the graveyard in response to them casting it. That makes sense. Yeah. So, But, but you know, in theory, when the thing... You can nab an escape thing out of the graveyard... And if it's a spell, you just get to draw a card. If it's a creature that you're worried about coming back, you gain three life and don't have to worry about it. I think this is good. Yeah, it looks solid, especially if you're nabbing a spell that's got escape. Yeah, just to get nabbing a spell that has escape is sort of the dream scenario here, I think. Yeah, this looks like a, a sideboard card. You're not main decking this, right? Well, the cost is so low. I, I mean, you know, 
you need a target for it. So you can't like just can trip on turn one and cycle it. But I do think that like, you know, if you're not nabbing an escape thing, something will get into the graveyard in like the first few turns. And then you can just cycle this, right? Like it's the opportunity cost of putting in your deck is kind of low. I guess. And I think, you know, just about escape as a mechanic, how many times are you going to be able to escape a game? Like three? Yeah, it's like like delve, right? Like even in dedicated delve decks, like you were you were doing the thing maybe three times. Right. Yeah. So not a lot. But, you know, if you're stopping that from happening once, that's pretty good. I don't know. Maybe I'm too high on the card, but I think I think this looks like sideboard material and I think it's going to be pretty main deckable. Next up, we've got Pious Wayfarer. This is single white for a 1-2 with Constellation. Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gets plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn. Aggressive. I think this is like sneaky good. So the Corticals started in our Discord talking about how he thought this was good, and he seems to be just sort of the like pioneer of common white one drops uh, <laughs> the coming champion. off the heels of his uh yeah of how, how he was very very right about fairy godmother being good i don't think i would have come in as hot on that card as i did if it weren't for his uh his thoughts about it and i think this looks like it could get there this could be the crux of uh, an aggressive white deck yeah i mean you're having to do a lot of work to get there right i mean it's going to be a two three early on if you're triggering constellation but you, you're having to cast a lot of enchantment things i don't know this seems like a very niche yeah well, I, I remember that you were never a charmed stray believer so i'll, I'll, I'll keep the <laughs> pious wayfarers to myself then yeah I, i'm not super high on this card i mean i could certainly see it getting there and then what it's going to do in the mid game is it's going to enable attacks for your three three by turning it into a four four or whatever i, I could see this enabling attacks but you're going to have to have like eight, nine, 10 enchantments in your deck too. Like that's going to be another thing. Another big question is how many enchantments is your average deck going to have? And are you going to have to make deck building costs to put that many enchantments in your deck? Yeah, for sure. So here, here's the thing is like, we're, we haven't really seen a lot of commons or uncommon. So I'm interested to see if there are other cards that go with this in the same sense of the like Wildwood Tracker, Rosethorn, Halberd, Aggro deck. Like I don't want to invest picks in Pious Wayfarer, but I am excited about the prospect of like drafting an aggro white deck and having the Pious Wayfarer's wheel. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'm at with this card. So I think it might be akin to Wildwood Tracker, etc. Next up, we've got strong blue commons to take a look at. Blue's commons, I think we've seen the most previewed so far, and they look mm-hmm. real good. So first one is Brine Giant. This is six and a blue for a five, six giant that costs one less to cast for each enchantment you control. So theoretically, I mean, this could be what coming down as early as turn five, probably like if you go like two through four drops, if two of them are enchantments. Yeah, that's powerful. If like, yeah, if before turn five, you've played two enchantments that are sticking around, then you have a five mana five, six. This seems like a card you can kind of stack up on. It's a common, it's a finisher in blue, like blue doesn't get these stats. It seems like a a payoff for drafting a bunch of enchantments, which is like kind of what the set wants you to do anyway. This seems really powerful to me. Yeah, it's a bigger mirror enforcer, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. It has affinity for enchantments, basically. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, this card looks awesome to me, but perhaps not as awesome as Thirst for Meaning which is two and a blue for an instant at common, draw three cards, then discard two cards unless you discard an enchantment card. Holy cow. 
you have best blue common question mark here. Talk to me because this is not on my radar. It's it's thirst for knowledge. I yes, I understand that. Thirst for knowledge is a lot less good in a regular limited set than it is in cube. Well, but in the regular limited set it was printed in was an artifacts matter set. This is an enchantments matters set. Like, I don't think discarding an enchantment to this is that difficult. Right. So then your instance be divinating. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be good. I would be shocked if this were the best blue common. Yeah, I mean, look, we're getting some hot takes in here, Ben. Stop, don't, don't take, you're taking me down off my pedestal here. I'm sorry, please continue. No, it's fine. I'm, I'm not, I just, I'm very excited about this card. Instant speed, draw three, discard two, or draw three, discard one is very exciting, especially with what blue looks to be doing. We'll talk about that. Actually, maybe we should just talk about that now. This idea of like blue seems to have a, I want to cast spells on my opponent's turn deck do you want to look at those cards yeah let's take a look at those cards i am very excited about this deck so first up we've got naiad of hidden coves this is two in the blue for a two three it's an enchantment creature at common and it says as long as it's not your turn spells you cast cost one colorless mana less to cast yeah this is a common i'm excited about oh boy i did not realize this was common so this is a three mana two three totally fine got uh talarian scholar stats here and this seems to be a really sweet engine. And these stack, like if you get two of these and then you're casting Thirst for whatever for one blue mana, that's insane. Yeah, it's it's great stats. It's an enchantment itself, which is, mm-hmm. I think, likely to be very relevant. And then the fact that there are a lot of blue cards that want to be cast and encourage you to cast things on your opponent's turn makes this look very, very strong to me. Speaking of things you can cast on your opponent's turn, this is Vexing Gull, two and a blue, two, two, flash flying, Windrake get jealous yeah what's the meme like you versus the guy she told you not to worry about or whatever <laughs> that's how i feel like it's windrake and, and vexing gull here this is uh this is good i mean like a three mana two two with flying isn't like the most exciting thing but i think the fact that this has flash is going to be very relevant yeah holding this up and holding up a bunch of other options like memory drain what's that one uh, clunky counter spell two blue blue for an instant counter target spell scry two wait are you not excited about this card I am not excited about this card. I am so excited about this card. So are you excited about this card because blue is able to like hold up doing a bunch of things? Yeah. Like there's okay. a there's a draw go deck in blue and a four mana counterspell that lets you scry to at instant speed sounds perfect in that deck. And then okay. imagine this with Nyad of the Coves. You've got two of those bad boys in play. This is just straight up counterspell scry to. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay, maybe this card, like the fact that this seems overcosted to me is why I'm not super excited about it. But perhaps it's overcosted because of the blue cast spells on your opponent's turn deck. That's my hot take. I think this is cost four because it'd be absolutely busted if it costed three. Well, sure. I mean, it, you can't just print like cancel scry two f- for the same mana cost. That would be a little silly. But yeah, I hear you. Uh, next up, we've got stinging lionfish one in a blue for a two one at uncommon. This is an enchantment creature. And whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, you may tap or untap target non-land permanent just picture it you've got a stinging lionfish your opponent goes to pre-combat some spell because they want some f6 value and you just slam that cancel tap down their attacker this is gonna be great that's true that is pretty sweet i do like it i i like stinging lionfish a lot i think that card is gonna be sneaky annoying my new year's resolution is to play better i'm not gonna i'm not gonna f6 as much this year that's a good resolution yeah Yeah, i like that i'm gonna try to be a better in-game player when i'm streaming no pre-combat spells for you. 
Nope. All right. I'm into it. Yeah. So I do think that looks really sweet. I'll be interested to see what, like, do you think it's just Blue's identity or do you think there's a color pair in specific that wants to do that? Because we haven't seen it exist really in other colors yet. Right. We haven't seen, and we haven't seen, we have a few, we have about half of the gold uncommons yet, and we haven't seen one that encourages operating at instant speed yet. But I mean, yeah. it, may, it would make sense for blue red, right? That's like a pretty blue right. red thing to do. Yeah. So I'm going to keep my eyes out for, for what, what's going on there. But just the sheer number of blue commons that work well together doing that is pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, and the fact that we, we saw, you know, a bunch of enchantment creatures, that makes me excited about the brine giant that we saw before, the card that gets cheaper for each enchantment you have. Like blue seems to just have a lot of inherent synergy already. Yep. Next up, we've got sweet auras, Ben. What are some sweet auras you're excited about? First one is one of our uncommon signpost cards. This is a blue white gold card and it's called Staggering Insight. Enchant creature, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has lifelink, and whenever this deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Yeah, so back in OG Theros, blue-white was the heroic color pair, right? This was the the color pair that had the most things that cared about being targeted. So this sort of feels like it's a throwback to that, even though heroic isn't really here. It's sort of a throwback to, you know, Theros caring about suiting up creatures, going tall rather than going wide. There's a lot of stats you get from this card and if you land it well it's just going to replace itself immediately and then anything after that is just gravy yeah this card's great right it's like a solid b maybe b plus yeah i mean the the problem is is if you're against a blue deck they're just never tapping out so this is like very scary to cast into open man it'll be interesting to see it if blue gets a like common bounce like it had voyages end last time in theros if it gets something like that i imagine that will be one of the best blue commons yeah. Next up, we've got Commanding Presence. This is three and a white for an enchantment aura at uncommon. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and has first strike. And whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, create a one, one white human soldier creature token. I like how all of these auras are like, and, and, yeah. and. Like, you, you're not going to get two for one. It's like, if you get two for one, you'll have gotten something before uh, your opponent <laughs> deals with your creature. Yeah, this is some sweet OG art here. I don't normally, art doesn't normally stick out to me, but I this card caught my eye right when I first saw it. Yeah, that's true. It does look uh, like magic of, of days past. So where, where are you at on this? This doesn't seem as good to me as as the, the blue-white cantripping or card draw enchantment. Where are you at here? I agree. This is not as good, maybe C-plus-ish. This is still a powerful aura, right? But you're going to have to be much more careful about landing it and when you land it. And I think probably want to have mit- ways to mitigate getting two for one. Yeah, and it's so expensive, so it's hard to like be able to play it and then like hold up something that might be able to protect the creature. I'm a little a little nervous about commanding presence, Ben. It's powerful though. Yeah, for sure. Last one we've got here. I'm really excited about this one. Indomitable Will. This is one and a white for flash aura. Enchant creature, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus two. This card is gonna do some serious work. We could have probably put this on the list of cards that look bad, but are going to be good, right? Oh, this doesn't look bad to me. This looks great to me. Well, I, I know it looks great to you, and I agree with that. But I think, you know, 
I think on first glance, you're like plus one, plus two for two mana is not great, especially attached to an aura. But there's so much more going on with this card, right? It, it has flash. So it's essentially a combat trick that then sticks around. It's a thing that you can cast on your opponent's turn. So we know there's things that care about that. It's an enchantment itself. So we know there are cards that care about that. It's going to target a creature. We know there are cards that care about that. This is just going to do a lot of work in this format. Right. Well, and think back to Pious Wayfarer, that white one drop, right? This mm-hmm. this plays super well with that, right? Because you're getting the plus oh one, plus God. two at instant speed from Indomitable Will, and then you're getting the plus one, plus one trigger from Pious oh. Wayfarer. This is Rose Thorn Halberd. We found it. Well, and it's going to be impossible for your opponent to block. I think Indomitable Will is going to be a very key card in aggro decks. Oh, that's so gross. That's really good. Okay, I'm very excited about this. I was kind of, I was at first glance, I was like, this is under our sweet auras category, Ben. But I, you got me. I think that I think this is maybe the one I'm most excited about. I agree. This of the three, this is the one I like the most. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's a common too. That makes me feel really good about it. All right, sweet. Next up, speaking of auras and things about that care about enchantments, we've got some enchantment payoffs. We talked about Shoal Kraken already, and we've got the Lords of Limited official preview card, Shimmerwing Chimera. I think that's worth talking about again here. Three and a blue for a 3-2 enchantment creature at Uncommon. It has flying, and it says at the beginning of your upkeep, return up to one other target enchantment you control to its owner's hand. You know what we didn't consider when we previewed this, or at least what I didn't consider? What's that? Sagas. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Someone talked, when I previewed this on stream, someone was like, oh, that'll be really good with Sagas. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. So this might be a good time to talk about that Sagas are back. You know, we're talking about Dominaria being the flavor of the week on Arena, and that's where Sagas originally existed. But being able to like tick up a few chapters and then pick it up and recast it with Shimmerwing Chimera, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's a lot of value there. Next up, we've got Nyx Herald. This is two and a green for a 2-3 enchantment creature, Centaur, Shaman. At the beginning of combat on your turn, target enchanted creature or enchantment creature you control gets plus one, plus one, and gains trample until end of turn. Boy, howdy. So just on its own, by itself, this is a three mana, three, four with trample when it attacks. Yeah, powerful. Yeah, that just seems powerful. And then beyond that, the fact that you can play this pre-combat ben don't f6 you can play this pre-combat and then you can target something that's already an enchantment creature or an enchanted creature on your side of the battlefield so it gets the bonus right away this is powerful yeah very good reason to have enchantment creatures in your deck Next up, we've got Inspire Awe. This is three and a green for an instant at common. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn, except combat damage that would be dealt by enchanted creatures and enchantment creatures. Scry two. This seems like poop to me. Really? I love this card. (laughs) What? All right. Sell me on Inspire Awe. So I don't think it's going to be a high pick or anything, but I think there's going to be matchups where if you're a fairly enchantment heavy green deck, this is going to be a one-sided wrath, right? Like citing it in. It it is. It's going to be powerful, right? Listen and the fact to your that there's one-sided <laughs> wrath. Listen to yourself. <laughs> and the fact that there <laughs> Listen. And the fact that there's we're going to argue about this card on the crash course too. I can I can feel it coming. <laughs> and the fact that there are playable enchantments and the fact that there's a playable fog. Like you're going to have to constantly be wondering, does my opponent have inspire all? I think this card's going to lead to some blowouts. Yeah, it'll lead to some blowouts sometimes. It's so expensive, though. That's because they know how busted it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. All right, I'll be very curious to see how this plays out, but my money is on this being a real clunker. Maybe a sideboard card is fine, but I'm so... Like, I will feel so bad about main decking this and, like, facing down a deck that has 
enchantment creatures and enchanted creatures because that's what the theme that's what the whole format wants you to do i mean i could see main decking this as a one of in a very enchantment heavy deck and i could see sideboarding it in and i could see it being very good out of the sideboard all right well we'll have to keep an eye on inspire awe as the set progresses so next up, there's a lot of cards that have the graveyard mattering. I mean, mechanics, escape, we've already seen matters a lot for the graveyard. And we've seen some ways to self-mill. We've got a saga here that helps you dump some stuff into your graveyards. This is the Binding of the Titans. What's going on here? All right, so uh, this is one in a green for an enchantment saga. So if you've never played with sagas before, they come into play. They have some number of chapters. It used to be just three, but now we've seen some with four. Um, and basically, when it comes into play, you do the thing that happens in the first chapter. And then at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you do the next thing. And then in your next turn, you do the last thing or the third thing if there are four. And then you sacrifice it after you do the last thing. So here we've got, it comes into play, each player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard, and then the second chapter is exile up to two target cards from graveyards. For each creature card exiled this way, you gain one life. And then the third chapter is return target creature or land card from your graveyard to your hand. I am not very excited about this card, are you? Um, I could see it being a sweet value engine in a deck that really wants to self-mill, right? Because you're dumping stuff in your graveyard and you're getting stuff out of your opponent's graveyard in the second chapter. And then, you know, worst case scenario, it's a regrowth effect, like a very delayed regrowth effect. Very delayed. I, I mean, I could see this being playable. Yeah, I would I worry about like how aggressive the format is or what aggressive decks exist, because this is very much do nothing. And I also worry about and maybe I'm just being too cautious here to like worst case scenario mentality, but I'm worried about like each player puts the top three cards in their library. Then what happens if my opponent gets to do a thing with those cards before I can exile up to two target cards from their graveyard? Yeah, that makes sense for sure. I mean, if you look at this card on face value, it's not a good card, right? Right. You're going to have to find ways to make this good. Yes, I agree with that. Next up, we've got another one of our signpost uncommons here. This is the Demir Uncommon, Devourer of Memory. It's blue-black for a 2-1 nightmare at uncommon. It says, whenever one or more cards are put into your graveyard from your library, Devourer of Memory gets plus one, plus one until end of turn and can't be blocked this turn. And it also has the ability one blue-black, put the top card of your library into your graveyard. This is a really interesting card. Yeah, it's like a little build your own creeping tar pit here. Yeah. So my question, oh, that's really what it is. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, this seems kind of aggressive because it's like a, you know, it's a cheap creature that can become unblockable. But this mechanic of like caring about self-milling feels like a very grindy situation, right? Like the, the theme of that feels like I'm trying to eke out as much value as possible, which seems like in antithesis to this card. Well, maybe not necessarily, right? We saw the the blue two drop, the two one. That's also an aggressively slanted card. So maybe there's a maybe there's an aggressively slanted version of of enabling your graveyard. That'd be interesting to see. It feels like blue black is always, you know, control, grindy value, draw cards, kill things. It'd be interesting to see if if this time around it's it's something different. I mean, regardless, this is going to be a scary threat, right? This is must kill. Yeah, well, because it simultaneously is pressuring your life total in theory, but also it's enabling other things that this deck is trying to do. Right. Next up, we've got Leonin of the Lost Pride as another card that interacts with the graveyard. This is one in a white for a 3-1. And whenever Leonin of the Lost Pride dies, exile target card from an opponent's graveyard. So a nice little bit of value there tacked onto your two mana 3-1. I'm, I'm way more excited about this being Marley Frider. We found the Holy Trinity, Ben. <laughs> 
What is that? Well, we found the like Wildwood Tracker, Rose Thorn Halberd, Marley Frider in white in this oh, format. We've got that. We've got the one, two. We've got the one plus one plus two aura, and we've got Leon in a Lost Pride now. Yeah, I'm calling it right now. I think this is the deck. All right. Yeah. But this is also pretty sweet that you do get to exile something from the graveyard when this dies. So just slightly better than our your usual two mana three one. Moving right along, we've got Mire Triton, which is one in a black for a 2-1 zombie merfolk at Uncommon. It has Death Touch. And when it ETBs, you put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard and you gain two life. That seems sneaky good. Yeah, just a rock solid card, right? And again, a little bit more aggressively slanted than we would normally see for this type of effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got some common removal to take a look at here. I just want your gut opinion on this because I've got some pretty strong feelings. So we've got two common removal spells here, likely to be the top two black commons, but you know, a little early to be predicting that already. First one is Myers Grasp. This is one and a black for an enchantment aura, enchant creature, enchanted creature gets minus three, minus three. What's the other one? The other one is Final Death really imaginative name there this is four and a black for an instant exile target creature so which of these two cards do you think is stronger here that's really tough to say my guess is myers grasp like i I don't know how many final deaths you want in a deck like two probably is is the most i mean it just sort of depends what your curve looks like i think myers grasp is going to be the better pack one pick one that's my initial thought at least yeah that's my thought as well it's going to be an enchantment it's going to trigger stuff that cares about enchantments it's going to trade up on mana with almost any two three four drop Mm -hmm. and is also going to be relevant to completely nerf your opponent's better creatures Right. That's the thing that's like, it's also not bad to cast this on a 5-5 five five and make it a 2-2. Two two. Yeah, I think I think Myers Grasp is going to be number one black common. I'm calling it now. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I'm curious to see where Final Death lands in terms of it being pretty expensive. I mean, this is, you know, we, it's not too long ago that we saw Murder at common and that was three mana to deal with a creature. Final Death's going to be splashable, though. That's also worth noting. That's fair. We haven't seen a, any mana fixing yet, but I'm, I'm hoping that it's coming. Speaking of black removal, Ben, I want to take a look at Inevitable End and see if it's great or super clunky. I know how you like Punisher cards. So this is two and a black for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature has at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature. Yeah, this card seems like an absolute steaming pile of garbage to me. Okay, that's I mean, it's, it's so you're excited about a four mana pseudo fog. I'm sorry, one sided wrath, but you're not excited about this card. Look, some cards just grab you, you know? That's true. Yeah, so when I first saw this card, I was like, this is nuts. Wait, really? Yeah, well, I didn't really think about it. I was just like, oh, man, they're going to like have to sacrifice a creature every turn. But then I was like, no, 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 this is a Punisher card. So either they, you put it, so like, what's the thing? You put it on the thing you want to kill, and either they go, okay, you get to kill that thing. I'll sacrifice that. Or this thing is too good, and I will sacrifice other things to keep it alive. Yeah, I mean, this card is fine, right? It's not as bad as I'm making it out to be. But it's probably worse than the two common removal spells, right? Yes, that I think is true. Right. I don't think that's what people are going to think when they look at this card. Really? Yeah. I don't think you're giving our listeners enough credit here. Okay. All right. Look, maybe it's it's entirely possible that my gut reaction to this card was dumber than all of our listeners, but <laughs> but I'm just saying, just trying to like talk through it and uh and maybe have people be a bit more cautious about inevitable end. Yeah, and I think especially in a format where there seems to be a go wide theme, like you're going to be really sad playing this against any white deck, I think. 
Yes, I agree. Because there seems to be a pretty strong token theme in white. So we've talked about sagas being back. There's a saga I want to highlight here that just looks rock freaking solid to me. This is The Birth of Miletus, one and a white. First chapter, you search your library for a basic planes card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. Second chapter, create an 04 colorless wall artifact creature token with defender. Third chapter, you gain two life. I mean, this is a lot of tiny value. Right. So this is Wall of Omens, right? Yeah. And it, but draws you a land. But draws you a land, which like, it's going to smooth. It's going to help you hit your land drops. Like, I think this card is really good. Yes. This is sweet. I mean, this, yeah, this is definitely, it's like a. Right on the borderline between C plus and B minus. It's going to depend. Like, white has looked pretty aggressive up to this That's point. That's so the thing. Yeah. So maybe it's not necessarily going to have a home. But if there are white controlling decks, you're going to want this as many as you can get in that style of deck. This card makes me nervous because I feel like when white ends up being bad and limited is when they try and design it as like half the cards are aggro cards and half the cards are control cards and then white doesn't have an identity. Yeah, I mean, this is uncommon. It's not a common. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I wish we could see it. I wonder if we'll see any common sagas. Probably not. I also wonder if there's a red black sacrifice deck and this one card seems to suggest, yes, this is blood aspirant. One and a red for a 1-1 one, one at Uncommon. Whenever you sack a permanent, put a plus and plus one counter on Blood Aspirant. And it has one and a red tap, sack a creature or enchantment. It deals one damage to target creature. That creature can't block this turn. Yeah, that looks very strong. So I'm be on the lookout for any kind of active treason effect, any kind of way to steal opponent's creatures, especially if it's in red. But also this is kind of sweet with, you know, sagas. You do sacrifice them when... The third chapter pops off. So that's just a free plus one plus one counter on Blood Aspirant. Um, you can also sacrifice the saga in response to the third chapter happening to be able to ping something. So I think this plays very well with sagas. Um, but I, I'm pretty excited about Blood Aspirant. Well, and there's also that black rare that looks super OP, right? That's a free sack outlet. What's that card? So there's Woe Strider, which is tuna black for a 3-2. This is a rare. When it ETBs, create an 0-1 white goat creature token, sacrifice another creature, no cost for that to scry one, and then has Ooh. escape three black black, exile four other cards from your graveyard, and it escapes with two plus one plus one counters on it, so it will come back as a 5-4. Yikes, that card is awesome. Yeah, serious value and free sack outlets are just very strong. Yeah, agreed. So because this is an enchantment matters, you know, enchant. We've got enchantment creatures, we're enchanting creatures. How many sort of naturalized effects are you main decking? So we've already got one, which is Revoke Existence. This is one and a white for a sorcery to exile target artifact or enchantment. So, you know, we've got that at common and white. How many of those are you main decking in this format? I would say one to two, and then I think you'd want access to more in the board. I think I'd be happy main decking too. Yeah, I think so. And like be ready to side out one or both of those. But I think, yeah, one to two in the main deck is good. I don't think I'd want three. But I thought every deck was going to have all the enchantments in it, which was why my fog was going to be bad, right? It is. It certainly <laughs> is, Ben. <laughs> have we seen any scry payoffs? There's a lot of scrying going on. I mean, all the, the temples are back. The scry lands at rare. And just a lot of like scry one or scry two tacked onto stuff. But I don't think we've seen anything that like cares about scrying, right? No, we have not seen a card that cares about scrying, but I do agree there's a lot of scrying. It makes me happy. 
Yeah, it's great. I mean, very good for limited, being able to smooth out your draws, find lands or bottom lands, like, you know, sort of reduces the amount of non-games that we're going to play. So I am excited about that, but I'm also sort of on the lookout for anything that that cares about that or cares about deck manipulation. I guess, like, scrying is kind of interesting with all the milling that's happening. You know, if your opponent goes top-top, then you can maybe have something that messes with their oh, library. Oh, yeah, like a little mini-game there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, you, yeah. if you're against maybe, like, a blue-black deck especially, you can, like, you try and top bad cards in the hope that they mill you in, instead or something. Yeah, that sounds sweet. So we've talked about go wide. Here are some cards that uh, seem to care about going wide. First of them is Hero of the Winds. This is three and a white for a 1-4 uncommon human soldier with flying. And whenever you cast a spell that targets Hero of the Winds, creatures you control get plus one plus O oh until end of turn. So pretty big payoff here for getting some tokens and then suiting this up with some auras. Yeah, that's really powerful. I like that this has a huge butt here. A 1-4 in the air is really nice. Right, so that you can pretty safely attack this in. Mm-hmm. Also also just wears aura as well as a flyer. It's evasive. Yeah, I think this is a fine card. Yeah, I, I imagine with the minus 3, minus 3 common in black, that 4 is going to be the magic number of toughness. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, there's also, we, we'll get to the omens in a bit, but the red omen is pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. So before we move on to that, we were to talk about the other sort of go wide card that seems to exist here. This is Reverend Hoplite. This is four and a white for a one, two. It's a human soldier at uncommon. And when it enters the battlefield, you make a number of one, one white human soldier creature tokens equal to your devotion to white. So this cares about devotion. Obviously, this isn't exciting on its own. This is a throwback. There's a very similar card to this in original Theros. It was like an expensive tiny creature that made a bunch of one ones equal to your devotion to white. So very reminiscent of that card. I think, you know, this can be a good curve topper if you you have the devotion. That's sort of the, the big if here. Right. Well I think for example, like th- compare this to Grey Merchant of Asphodel. I think this is a better card than Grey Merchant of Asphodel in the format from what we've seen so far. Yes. It definitely seems like this is what white wants to do, and I don't think Grey Merchant is really what black is trying to do. Yeah. So and if you have ways to pick this up, it's also gets out of hand very quickly, assuming you can keep the devotion to white on the battlefield. Yeah, for sure. All right. So that takes us on to the omens. We previewed one of the omens, which was Omen of the Sun. Mm-hmm. That was one of our Lords of Limited official preview cards. We'll go back over that one. This is two and a white for the enchantment with flash. And when ETBs create two one one white human soldier creature tokens and you gain two life and then has two and a white sack it scry two. Yeah, this seems pretty sweet. And we were wondering last week when we talked about this card, is there a go wide theme to white? Because this is basically like a more expensive race the alarm. And I think the answer is yes. I think this card is going to have a home here. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly probably not a top white common at three mana but but certainly some solid value yeah i think so so we've got two others that have been officially previewed so far first of them is omen of the sea this is a one and a blue for an enchantment with flash when it enters the battlefield you scry to then draw a card so this is a you know two mana instant speed preordain and then it has as all the omens seem to have uh two and a blue sacrifice it scry to yeah, this is very reminiscent of Witching Well. I like this card quite a bit. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, and it's, the fact that this has flash, I mean, or maybe do they all have flash, if, if Omen of the Sun also had flash, um, plays nicely into Blue's theme of casting spells on your opponent's turn. Right. Well, and I think this is going to be an enchantment that sits on the battlefield for your 5-6 that has affinity for enchantments. Mm. I, th- I think most often you're going to be casting this and letting it sit on the battlefield and looking for ways to pick it back up. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. 
And then what's the red one? Red one seems absolutely busted. This is Omen of the Forge, one in a red, flash enchantment. Whenever ETBs deal two damage to any target, and then you can pay two in a red, sacrifice it, scry two. So it's a two mana shock, but it's an enchantment. Two mana shock, but it's an enchantment. And later in the game, when you're about to gas out, you can sack it and scry to keep that gas flowing. So you want a hot take, best red common? I mean, it looks very strong to me. And certainly yeah. if there's ways to pick it up, is going to be really sweet with that. I think this card does a lot. I really like this as an enchantment burn spell. Have we seen more than just Shimmerwing Chimera as a way to pick up enchantments? We have not, as far as I'm aware. All right, I really hope we see more, because it seems like there's a lot of sweet ETB enchantment value to be gained. Yeah, looks looks very strong to me. So we'll, we'll take a stab here at some of the, the signpost two-color uncommons here. We already talked about a couple of these, but I want to touch on the other ones that have been previewed and see if we can kind of figure out what the color pair is trying to do before Watsi's article. What's the, the first one on our list here? First one we've got is Warden of the Chained. This is one red green for a 4-4 trample. Holy stats, Batman. Oof. And Warden of the Chained can't attack unless you control another creature with power four or greater. Eh, a lot less excited now. Yeah, so it's tough. I mean, it's not crazy to think that you could curve this into something. I imagine if previous sets are any indication that we're gonna see some four CMC, four power creatures in red and green, right? Like... You know, think about Dominaria. You got Baloth Gorger and whatever Keldon Warcaller, and there's an ogre there too. Like, I, I think I think we'll be able to see some four power creatures at common for uh, to enable the Warden of the Chained. Right, and this is still gonna be able to block. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so huge. And also, you know, there there are auras floating around. I imagine they'll exist in multiple colors, not just in in white or whatever that like can suit up other creatures to enable this to attack. I I think this is gonna get there. What grade would you give it right now? Right now, I think I'm going to give it a B. B? I'm going B minus. Yeah, that's fair. I, mean, I, I still think a, a pull into red green for me. Next up, we've got a very, very Ethan Sachs card here. This is Rise to Glory. Three white, black for a sorcery. Choose one or both. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Or return target aura card from your graveyard to the battlefield. This is... Oh, it goes to the battlefield. I was going to say, this is so clunky. Yeah, this is sweet. Yeah, this card looks awesome. This hints at white black, maybe caring about self mill. Certainly caring about grindy value. This is just a clean two for one. And it hints that it cares about auras mattering. Yeah, are we going to see any sweet reanimator decks in limited? A little self mill, a little rise to glory. Oh my god, I hope so. Yeah, I mean this is it's a five mana zombify, but the fact that you have the, the the potential to get back an aura as well, if that aura has any sort of value to it, that's uh, that's something I, I have my eyes on. Yeah, this looks exciting now. Yeah, when I initially read this, I I saw it as to the hand, and the last one that we have not checked out here is Siona, Captain of the Pileos. Sure. Question mark on the pronunciation? <laughs> I think you did great. <laughs> this is one green white for a 2-2 human soldier. And whenever Siona enters the battlefield, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal an aura card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Whenever an aura you control becomes attached to a creature you control, create a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. So this sort of hints it a little bit of go wide certainly hints at auras mattering so that seems like now we've got a white black card a white blue card and a white green card that care about auras so that seems to be a theme of white for sure uh, that probably also lends to it being a more aggressive color so this card seems good i mean you, you need to have what 
five auras in your deck, four auras in your deck to to reliably hit with this? I'd have to go bust out the odds calculator. Frank Carson, if you're out there, just let us know. But yeah, so I think it's definitely possible to feel like you can reliably hit here. So this sort of mitigates the cost of being two for one with an enchantment, right? Because this is just going to ETB and draw that for you. And then it also, if it sticks around when you cast it, you get to make a 1-1, one, one, which in theory, White's going to care about. So I, I like this card. Yeah, this looks like the least exciting of them that we've seen. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess I don't I don't know if like what sweet auras White Green is going to have. I mean, this just goes and finds your flash plus one, plus two. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess it's much less exciting when they know about it. Still a powerful mm-hmm. card. Still a powerful card for sure. That's all the cards we've got outlined for now. Really excited to see what this next week of previews brings before we hit the crash course with our next episode. Yeah, for sure. And for folks who are looking for a little bit of a full set review, I'm going to be having friend of the show and co-host of Limited Level Ups, uh, Alex Corticals. He's going to join me on stream on Friday for a full set review. So we'll have his grades in our spreadsheet this time around, which I'm very looking forward to uh, to hearing him talk up all the aggro white one drops. Ooh, baby. And you are going to be headed to GP New Jersey as the main event in your future? That is in my future. That's I mean, we'll see how this goes. But one of my like maybe resolutions is to to go to more tournaments. I think that I think that might help the podcast if if either you or I got some like good tournament finishes. Like, I mean, sort of fingers crossed if we could top eight and go to a mythic championship, that would be awesome. But I think that could get some more eyeballs on our podcast. Yeah, I think I am going to try to make it to GP New Jersey as well. I'm like, oh snap! I'm like ninety percent to go right now. I'll take those odds for sure. Yeah, I'm looking All forward right. to it, and I think that means you and I are going to be jamming some sealed, and that we are going to be trying very hard in the Lords of Limited Discord to break the sealed format open a little earlier than normal. Yeah, I'm heading out to GP New Jersey on that Thursday, and I think I'm probably like a hundred percent to just hole up in my hotel room on that Friday and just jam as many sealeds as I can on my laptop. Is there going to be a draft PTQ, though? I don't think so. Oh, bummer. I know. Yeah, I I hope they start to implement those more often. If there was, I would definitely do that, though. I'm not sure that's actually helpful (laughs) for me uh, for me trying to get to day two. I think I'd probably got to just figure out sealed. All right. Well, Theros Beyond Death looks to have lots of good stuff in store for the magic community at large and hopefully Lords of Limited as well. It's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We are both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for our Crash course of Theros Beyond Death. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for the crash course of Theros Beyond Death. Thanks, everybody. See you later. I'm going to do that one more time just so it doesn't sound like I'm going to say one more thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I was wondering if you cut out. I know, no. <laughs> I talked over the top of you. <laughs> With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.